Let's foray into Nevada's wild spaces. This is a half an hour adventure with the Nevada Department of Wildlife. This is Nevada Wild. Here on this Welcome to Nevada Wild, brought to you by the Nevada Department of Wildlife. I'm Ashley Sanchez, here with also your host, Erin Keller. And we have Waterfowl Staff Specialist, Russell Woolstenhume. Good morning. I said that a little. I said your first name weird, but I got your last name. No, you're all good. Which is weird. So, (laughs) and then we have another person who we love having here, Chris Nikolai, who's with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We work closely with them. And you manage the waterfowl program there, correct? Yep. yep. Good morning. Glad to be here again. Yeah. And I think it was a year ago we had you guys in. Right. It, was it a year ago already? Yeah. It's been a very long year. You should have us in more often. Yeah. We, I think we <laughs> came in twice. I think you did. We, we, we came in, yeah. in twice, yeah. You guys always have so much information. And a few weeks ago, we did an Upland Game podcast and we were originally going to mix waterfowl in with it, and we're like, no. There's just, just too much. There's, there's just too much. It was too much information for right. for dove and upland game. It right. We were trying to mix in migratory. And, and waterfowl deserves its own podcast. It really does. Everyone loves waterfowl. Migratory birds, man. It's where it's at. It's where it's at. <laughs> so we are approaching the fun season the season it's it's almost season. here it's almost, it's almost here. here no doves are already here so we got to include them doves right have right started. yeah doves are one of those weird animals they they're a migratory bird but they fall into the upland category so they they're technically migratory upland game birds yeah i only recently learned that right well you could actually probably put in webless webless that's, that's right that's where webless. they really get oh, split geez. That makes sense. Chris yeah, likes to he likes to nerd out on this type of stuff. For <laughs> sure. That's why we love having. <laughs> I'm good <him> nerd. <laughs> so what is, what are the conditions this year? Do you think it's going to be a good year for waterfowl hunting? As a hunter, no, don't go out. It's horrible. <laughs> no, but honestly, no. These are some of the best conditions I've seen in the 18 years I've lived here. So I'm pretty excited for this year. It's looking really good out there in the marshes. Very exciting. And what makes what makes it so good? I think it's, um, you know, I've got to help with the aerial survey again this year, so I got to see most of the wet spots in the state back in May, and then I've been out banding a lot and traveling around seeing places. But, one, water. But I think the biggest thing is it's probably the second or third year of water, so all the emergent cover is established. It's thick. The wetlands are probably in their best shape coming out of the drought right and and along with that emergent vegetation the submergent vegetation that's you know things like the the sago pondweed and things that are really important for for waterfowl feed is just it's doing fantastic right so for anyone listening you're talking about plants that grow in the water and then plants that grow out of the water right the the things that emerge from the water would be the emergent right of course and the submergent are the things that are in 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 the water itself yeah right so emergent stuff would be like bulrush and cattails alkali bulrush which everyone calls nutgrass and the submergence you know around here is primarily sago which is what the swans and the canvasbacks and the widgeons really like i learned something new every time you're here that's why we're the goal. That's why we're here, actually. That's why we get paid the big bucks. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and so conditions around the state, then, are all, I mean, are there places that are better than others this time, this year, or does it all look pretty wet? 
when you're doing your flights or yeah when i did the survey this spring everything looked really good you know and we've got a lot of really good managers out and around the state right now you know we got guys down you know on your property at mason valley they're doing an awesome job with habitat we've got you know federal refuges as well you know paranagat and ruby and Stillwater are all actively doing wetland management projects. Um, you know, you might know more about Kirsch and stuff, but we've we've probably got more waterfowl wetland managers busy in this state than probably ever in history, right. I'd wow. say, right and, now. And the WMAs are, are very similar. There's a lot of projects going on. Um, our habitat division here at Department of Wildlife has been very active with DU and doing habitat projects, getting things online, and I mean, this is... Like Chris said, you know, the best-looking year that he can remember it is for me as well, and, and that goes from both the water standpoint and active management. That's great. That's really good to hear, just to be here during a year when yeah, you guys are saying this is one of the best years in a long time. You don't always hear that. It's excellent out there. Well, yeah. I think, you know, to be honest and not throwing anything, but, you know, we should mention Carson Lake isn't at its prime like everything else but that's for other reasons okay. right right now I'll, I'll let russell be the official spokesperson for <laughs> yeah. that one there's just been a lot of things going on out there after the 2017 year there was a lot of of damage to that property out there related to the flooding that um you know it's going to take a few years to get that back online and get things really top shape out there but that's the goal we're headed that direction so hopefully in the next you know few years you'll start seeing some big changes there okay and then um how you keep saying Russell could talk to this, you could talk to this. How do you two work together? Mm. Um, or who manages what? It's kind of confusing as an outsider. No, it does. But I think we work together awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. But no, but we definitely, you know, I don't want to speak Coordinate on, a lot. Oh, we coordinate a lot. Um, and Russell's probably the main professional person I, I communicate with. But, um, yeah, try to keep things separate um you know russell's more on the state issues you know state regulations things like that where i can help at the bigger scale you know pulling in the refuges helping like that and you know partnering with the state on a lot right. of these projects chris is chris has always been I mean, extremely helpful to the state um, and the state since he's been here working working in for the fish and wildlife service we've made great strides as far as you know, um, bringing our surveys up to up to current standards and um, the banding operations have greatly improved here. So you know that's that's where he's been he's been huge, and it's it's great to have him here and and we've really appreciated all the everything he's contributed to the state of Nevada. Exactly. Thank you, Chris. Oh, <laughs> lots of fun. But I, yeah, we get we get to stay busy a lot. You know, there's a lot that goes into getting a hunting season going. Mm -hmm. You know, because legally, waterfowl seasons are closed until regulations open them every year. So if for some reason something bad happened and we weren't able to do this, and we've been close actually on a couple technical issues. This year. But, yeah, this year in particular. But, um, yeah, if, if these regulatory processes don't occur, it doesn't open. It's not like hunting's open all the time and we just go. No, it's actually closed, and it can't open until we – collect data, attend meetings, get some legal 
processes going. So it, it gets complex. That's a lot of pressure on you guys. Yeah, it's mostly on <laughs> yeah. Russell. Right. I can Look take at it. Russell. I'll take it. Taking the pressure. So as far as hunting seasons go, this year is pretty straightforward, right? Right. We've got, you know, there's some there's um, some subtle changes as far as season dates. The, the northwest zone, we have been starting that the first weekend of October the last few years, and this year we're not opening that until October 19th for the general season. So so that's a change. Um, some, some federal regulations allow us to go a little bit later in the year, so the seasons will end um, January 31st. Right. And, um, you know, so there's that's some subtle changes in seasons. There's... Uh, one of the big changes this year is the pintail bag limit. It's been it was two last year. This year it drops back down to one pintail in the bag. So that's something that all hunters should be aware of. And then um, there's quite a few changes to our swan hunt, which are are pretty key. So one of them is the swan hunt used to be a ninety a, about ninety day season, and now it matches our our duck season. So it'll be a hundred and seven total days with all the hunts combined. That includes the youth hunt, which is a new change. The youth, if they have a swan permit, can legally hunt swan on on the youth days. That's a new change this year. Our swan, our trumpeter swan quota that used to be set at five is now at ten. So right. when, once we reach ten birds, the season will close. So that's you know that's a big change. So those are kind of the the biggest changes that we have for the year. Did I miss anything, Chris? No, and I was just looking at the regulations here. One change is for the northwest zone. Is we don't have a split any longer, right? That's, That's right. The well, first time this has happened for in a few years the, for the Northwest and the South because okay. of the the season shifts. It it took away the the split this year in those zones. There's still a split in the Northeast zone. Right. What do you That's mean for... when you say split exactly? So the season stops for a certain period oh, okay. of time and then starts back up. Right. Where we don't have that now. Right. What were you gonna say? Oh right no, here? I was I was just gonna <laughs> explain it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nope. No, you got it. Yeah, so they, they we take out a couple of days based on the federal framework right. to where the season can end on a Sunday. And what what that does is it allows the youth day. So by the framework, we can have a total of 107 days. The two youth days count within that. So it drops us down for the general season to 105. And because of that, the season was ending on a Friday. And so in order to get it to end on a weekend, we just we'd close those two days, and that would allow a couple it. of weekdays right. early in the year when it's not as good of hunting. Yeah. Gotcha. And this year, because there was um, a lot of a lot of hunters requested the hunt go clear until the the last possible day, which was January thirty first, which is a Friday this year. It eliminated the it eliminated the split this year. Right. Makes which, things a little easier. Yeah, it does. Right. It it'll probably come back. There's some other changes that are that could possibly be coming forward for future hunt years that could make the split come back and may actually make it longer. Okay. Which, the more hunting, the better, right? Right. That's what the goal is for from, from the state's perspective, for, yeah. for sure. Yeah, for us. Right. And, I, me as a, and me as a waterfowl hunter. Right. You know, I want the most time that I can. You know, as that has been one of my primary goals my entire time in this position is trying to create as much opportunity as possible and that's always my you know my top goal how do i create the most opportunity possible and a lot of our regulations you know you look at it um for for snow geese there's a, a daily bag limit of 20 i don't think anyone ever in the history of nevada has got a, a full bag of snow geese white geese but i want the opportunity to be there in the rare event that that might happen 
Let's hope for it. So it's about opportunity. Yeah, it's all about opportunity. Right? I don't want to get, I feel like we have so much more to cover, but I almost don't want to get into it yet because we are running out of time for the first half of the show. So we'll just cut mm-hmm. the first half a little bit shorter. I, I can I can sing us out if you'd like to. Do pick you want it? I meant to have you intro because you have such a good voice. I wanted you to do the intro today. Got the radio we missed voice. our opportunity. How about you throw us to break? I, I have a voice and a face for radio. <laughs> so Use that voice and throw us to break. All right. We will be take a short break, and then we will come right back, and we'll have some more discussion on the waterfowl. Nice. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For more information on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things wildlife, go to endow.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Nevada Wild. Today we have our waterfowl experts, regulars in the house, Russell and Chris with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And before the break, we were talking about a lot of the work and science behind what you do. But as hunters, they also could play a role in the science behind our waterfowl data. Right, right. Migratory birds um, depends, you know, both, both the waterfowl and earlier we brought up a little bit the webless, the doves, and, um, you know, band returns are really important to what we do as well as, as uh, our, our parts collection, our, our wing return data. So we rely on hunters for that. So anytime anyone harvests a bird with a band on it, please, please report that to, to the reportbands.gov. And how do they do that? So they would just go to reportbands.gov? Right and online, and they it's and it's, it's a really simple form. You, you put in the information from what you harvested, where you harvested it at, and um, they'll ask a couple of simple questions, and then they email you back. And I they used to mail them. Now they email a nice certificate that tells you where the bird that you harvested was was originally captured and banded. And explain again why this is so important for people to be doing. Yeah, I guess I can help out a bit there. Um, yeah, just it's we always advertise it as the largest citizen science effort in wildlife management. You know, as Russell mentioned, the reporting bands and then being on the harvest surveys, which usually requests you to send in a wing from every every bird that you shoot, and it it feeds into our population models. You know, depending on the species, we bring in the spring aerial surveys, usually at a continental scale, band recovery rates. And uh, then the parts collection survey, which lets us get an estimate of recruitment. So how many, you know, what the duckling to adult ratio is in the harvest. So You know, an- another big part of that is, is the hip. So every, oh. every waterfowl hunter is required to have a hip number. And that, the data that comes back from that also helps provide a lot of citizen science that helps us establish and, and you know, make all of our seasons and it provides a lot of the information that we use in, in that process. And we constantly, I mean, we always tell people when they need to get a hip number, we get messages from people, do I need a hip number to um, hunt this species? So that's why right there. I never right. really knew the reasoning behind it right. myself. And the hip number, 
there's a lot of confusion in urban legends with that one. Urban people, legends. Well, it gets categories, you know, zero or, you know, depending on the species, one to ten or ten plus. And people think we use that question to estimate what was killed. Nope. What that does is just stratify, you know, the casual, regular, and the diehard hunters. Because the diehard hunters are harder, they're rare. Mm-hmm. So if we just randomly asked everyone who bought a stamp, say, um, it would be hard to get those guys. So all HIP does is put you into three categories so that we can draw X amount of names from each one of those categories. So if you're in that higher, uh, what would be the word, diehard category, you get sampled at a higher rate because you're rarer in the population. You know, I always wondered why I got that survey in the mail every mm-hmm. time, but that's <laughs> that's probably why. Yep. Yeah, right. everyone thinks, well, how can they estimate the number when they ask us 1 to 10? It's like, well, it's not. We just set – that helps set us up to estimate that number. Right, because I'm always yeah, 10 or more for – Ducks right, or geese. Right. And then yeah. I was like, how do I randomly get this harvest questionnaire every See, year? Even you've worked here for 20 plus years and you're learning something See? new. <laughs> yep. But yeah, like Russell mentioned as well, I mean, we just couldn't get the numbers we need to open up these hunting seasons without participation from the hunters. So it's it's really important for us after all this work of marking birds and getting the hip program going right but you know it's it's a really cool thing that as hunters all of us can participate in the management of of migratory birds which is really cool because you know you don't see that as much in a lot of other species on on how much involvement there is sure there's there's a big game survey you know what did you do what did you what did you harvest but for for a lot of the migratory birds that we during the break chris was talking about with the doves you know that's that's all we have. We've got the the band return data and the parts return, and that's that drives the entire management of of doves, both morning doves and white winged doves that we have here in Nevada. That's so interesting to me. I had no idea that sea hunters play such a big role in it. Right, very important. It is. And then we were talking about so that's a big thing we want hunters to be doing, just in tips going into the season. Um, but we were also saying, so be sure to be reporting bands and then also checking out places before you go. Yeah, go scouting. Yeah, go, right. scout, go scouting. Yeah. As we were mentioning earlier, you know, just a lot of water this year again. And, you know, flying the, the May surveys, like northern Washoe, for example, every spot that could hold water was holding water back in May. And, you know, it's good excuse to get out and see some country go see if there's water here maybe there's some ducks there and if not there maybe the next spot over the hill and uh you know as we were talking earlier too with during the break you know the conditions are really good right now before the fall storms come is you know get on these good roads and go look for these places and you might find a a secret honey hole to to last you until winter shuts us down or or the season's end right you know and anywhere there's water there's going to be birds um, one of the things that I've, every time I've ever been up around Hobart Reservoir, I always see a raft of diving ducks up there. Now there's, the state parks has restrictions on where you can hunt, but there is a corner of that you can hunt. And I've always told myself, I want to hike in there and hunt that. So I mentioned that to Chris. Of course, Chris has been there and done it. So. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, you know, there's any, any place where you can find water, there's, there's an opportunity that exists. When I was over in, 
and living in Elko County years ago, you know, most of my opportunity there came from from jump shooting ducks. Um, you know, there was the ruby the ruby marshes, which is a great place to hunt. But you know, I had a couple of a couple of honey holes I'd go and and just do jump shooting, and you know, it was along streams and river systems, and I always got into ducks. There was always that opportunity there. So, you know, there's lots of places to go, and you find those who getting out there and scouting, looking for places, you know, making a plan. And that's really important in waterfowl hunting. If you're just if you're the guy that just shows up and throws some deeks out in the water without having scouted, you're going to sit there and listen to the people on either side of you harvesting ducks because that's where they were fl- that's where they're flying and you didn't scout it to know the flight pattern. Well, and that's what's pretty cool now with how you guys have restructured your licensing system is it's not as much ahead of time work now to hunt ducks. I mean, you got to have your hunting license and a federal duck stamp and have your hip number. So the state stamp's gone. Yes. And, you know, we even encourage birders or anybody to buy federal duck stamps. So, you know, it's 98% of it goes into habitat management and acquisition. So, I mean, even birders and non-consumptive users are buying it. So if you're proactive and supporting habitat, you should already have a federal duck stamp in your pocket. You know, you can get your hip number pretty easy and you know, you might be out elk hunting or something, you know, keep your shotgun with some steel shells in the truck with you. And yeah, I've had times where I'm sitting in my wall tent in Elko County and a flock of green winged teal buzz this ridge, like, what are they doing up here? <laughs> but it's, you know, I see enough ducks up there that you got to work for them. You might not get a limit, but it lets you shoot something in addition on your trip, you know, kind of fun. That's right, very true. Right. You know, there's, there's nothing better if, you know, if, if you get your, your big game animal early in, in your hunt and you still want to camp out the rest of the week that you have off if you got your shotgun that that opens yourself up for for that waterfowl hunting i know lots of people that do that i do that i always take my shotgun on a big game hunt with me because there's mm-hmm. always those opportunities right and so for anyone listening that doesn't really know where to go like chris said earlier like the our wildlife management areas the um, refuges around the state are, are great spots to start they're they're always right. going to have some right. sort of water movement or way that we can move water around and they're almost always going to be green right you know (laughs) and on we get a lot of drought years in nevada and on those years those are probably going to be the only places to go right but when you get in a situation like we're in right now with a lot of water everywhere and there's so many opportunities out there and a little bit of legwork looking for those spots any place you've been out you know if you've been out scouting for something else you see a pond somewhere you see you know a nice stream with some, you know, with some slow water in it, some beaver ponds or something. Right. You never and know what you'll find. Yeah. In right. Right. And yeah. being September, I mean, the water situation is only going to get better, right? We're only going to get more water going right. into the fall. And so if you find water this time of year, you can pretty much count on it being there. It's, it, yeah, it's during gonna, the duck season. It's going to be there yeah. for the season. Right. And like Chris said, it's good to be prepared in case you see some ducks while you're out doing who knows what yep. so and we do keep it super easy just endowlicensing.com to get your hunting license licenses are good right. for 365 days from the date of purchase um hip number i was directing someone how to get that the other day and it was you could even just look up endow hip number but it's on right. our website endow.org right. and you go to the migratory bird page so we keep it simple yeah what uh what uh what adventures you guys have planned 
coming up this fall? Good question. Hmm. I know just your daughters. Just to end it. Chris, end you it. were talking about your daughters, and she's super into hunting. So do you guys have any? And she had her calendar out. Yep. All ready to go hunting. Yeah, yeah. She made a calendar looking at all <laughs> uh, Nevadas, and we hunt California a lot too, since it's so close living here in Reno. But yeah, we're taking a little easy this year. Last year we had you know some pretty one important hunt that we did, but this year, yeah, it's. Yeah, I think we've got plans to do three preseason youth waterfowl hunts, and then we go to Canada every year, so we'll be up there the first two weeks of October, which the older kid is now old enough to pull the trigger up there, so she's getting promoted from decoy setter to a shooter this year. That's a big promotion. Yeah, Yeah, and we already got our swan tags, and uh, yeah, we're planning a trip down to Louisiana over Thanksgiving to shoot my last three species i need so yeah that's awesome what about you After russell yes you know some of the same things i've got I've, I've got kids pretty close to to chris's girls his ages and um my middle one's a boy and he's he's 11 um he took his hunter safety over a year ago and he's been pressuring me ever since yeah you know right on. let's get out there dad i want to shoot some birds so you know looking at the calendar and making plans and, and trying to figure out the best best times to go and get the kids out there and get them some experience that is one of the the best things and i think one of the coolest parts about waterfowl hunting is the opportunity it affords parents to take kids Mm -hmm. it's a great entry-level introduction to uh to hunting and to the outdoors and i mean my kids have all three of our kids have grown up hunting which is i mean that's all they talk about once we once we bring it up they're like when are we going to go we well, look at what go. a bonding experience it is for you guys and your kids, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's right. good it's, fun. It's and people that haven't waterfowl hunted before, I encourage you to try it. You at know, least go try it. We, no. talk, we yeah. talked about this in recently when I was in here with Sean Espinosa doing the Upland mm-hmm. discussion. But, you know, small game, it provides so much opportunity. There's, you know, there's long seasons. There's a lot of, a lot of small game species out there to hunt so much opportunity and you can start with kids chris has his kids out there at seven and eight nine ten years old participating in this having those bonding experiences having the opportunity to to experience nevada's wildlife and i mean there's just there's no better thing to do with your kids than that in my opinion and i've heard russell say this before too but you know you really get into the amount of trigger pulling you can do in nevada migratory birds rules the roost you know, we kill more migratory birds than probably all other species combined. Yeah, there's there's a lot of opportunity there. We have a lot of different species and a lot of different opportunities. You know, when you throw in the the morning dove, especially into it, right? You know, one of our top harvested animals in the state are morning doves. Wow, it's crazy. Yep. Well, we're out of time, guys. This sucks. Again? I always hate this part. Again, yeah. so I know. I'm always the bearer <laughs> of bad news. But thank you both for being here. Thank you, Chris, for coming in. Um, to the office and um, thank you everyone for listening that does it for this week's Nevada Wild Join us again next week for our next adventure, Nevada Wild. It's a production of the Nevada Department of Wildlife.